have an honest hour of hauntingly good entertainment in store for you this evening. True tales of the paranormal, told by listeners, just like you. And if you've listened to this program before, you know I'm not one for small talk. So how about I quit yammering and allow Aaliyah from Texas to tell this evening's first tale. Hi, my name is Aaliyah, and I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. The event that happened happened in 1986, and it included, it was three couples and two children, and we were all witnesses. It was Labor Day weekend, like I said, 1986, and we had made plans to go spend the weekend at Caballo National Park, the lake there in New Mexico. I had been there many times before as a child, and the lake is sort of separated. There's a lake, or there used to be a camping area, which was located on the east side, down to the south end of the lake. And then there were cabins, mobile slash mobile homes, located on the opposite side, which would be, you know, the west side. Okay, so um, I was very familiar, had been there many, many times in my life. Anyway, so we got there, we unpacked. The cabin that we were staying at was actually owned by one of the uh, gentlemen who we were with, and uh, it belonged to his parents. Anyway, so we unpacked, you know, we ate lunch. Of course, we drove there in two cars, so, and kids playing around, whatever. And then eventually, throughout the day, they got evening, so we, we barbecued our dinner, and we were hanging out. After dinner, the guys were hanging over by the grill with what was left of the coals, and we women were sitting at a picnic table. I was facing the lake, so my back was to the cabin, and the two other women, their backs were to the lake, but they were facing the cabin. And uh, we were hanging out, talking. The other mother, there was two children there. One was mine, three-year-old boy, and hers was a four-year-old boy. So the other mother and I were not drinking any alcohol because we were so close to the edge of the water and we had, you know, rambunctious children. We were, you know, concerned for safety. So can't say that I was drunk or anything like that. Anyway, after a while, you know, of course, the sun went down and it was evening. It was night. It was a very clear, beautiful evening, very comfortable. And I began to feel the sensation that somebody was watching me. 
And sometimes I know when you're camping and you're sitting by a fire or whatever, in the darkness, you can feel sort of like, ooh, I feel like someone's watching me. It was that sort of a feeling. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just, you know, would turn around, look behind me, and just sort of, you know, okay, get past it. As the evening progressed, right, everything was fine, I continued to feel like somebody was watching me, and it started to really bother me. So eventually, I said something. I said, wow, you know, this is really weird, but I keep having the sensation like someone's watching me or watching us, like kind of hoping that maybe they would say, oh, yeah, me too, or no, 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 no. So one of the other women who was the partner of the young man whose parents owned the cabin said, oh, well, you know, they say that a veteran who used to live in the cabin committed suicide, shot himself with a shotgun. So maybe that's what you're you know, picking up. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, could be. Maybe that's what's bothering me. Maybe that is it. Okay, so I let it go. So we started, you know, it, it was getting late. I would say midnight, maybe a little bit past. And, you know, the kids were still playing. And I, I, I know that in my mind, I was thinking, okay, time to wind down. You know, maybe we should call it a night or whatever. And suddenly, for some reason, I looked up over the heads of the two women in front of me. And I saw this object. So I don't know. I just reacted. I stood up and I pointed at it and I said, what in the F is that? So everyone kind of looked around. Everyone turned around at what I was pointing at. The ladies stood up. The guys were already standing by the grill. And it was just this object hovering over the lake water, completely silent. Anyway... I looked at it and I started to survey it and survey what, you know, the situation. And I, I looked for windows because I thought, okay, there's got to be, you know, maybe there's somebody and I don't know. I didn't see any windows. I did see three lights from my point of view. It was three lights. They were located on the sides and it was like a football shaped object. And it was about the size of a school bus. It was very close to the water. It was about 20 to 25 feet above the water. And I would say about 30 feet away from where I was standing. I mean, like, I remember having the sensation that, wow, I could practically walk over to it and touch it if it weren't for the water that separated us. It didn't make any sound whatsoever. I looked underneath it at the water. The water was not making any, it wasn't causing the water to move at all. And one of the guys, not my partner, but one of the guys said, oh, that's a satellite. And I said, that is not a satellite. There's no way that's a satellite. And we just kind of stood there. And after a few seconds, about 10, 15 seconds later, it started to move north, just slowly moving north up the length, the length of the lake. And we all just stood there. And the guy who said, oh, it's a satellite, repeated it. That's a satellite. That's a satellite. Yeah, and I said again, that is not a satellite. And so we stood there and watched it go up the length of the lake until it was, you know, pretty good distance away. And then it suddenly just shot up diagonally up into the sky and disappeared without making sound the entire time. And we all just sort of stood there in awe, in disbelief. I, you know, I, I, I was shocked. And we all just sort of like looked around at each other and, okay, you know, let's go to bed. So we 
went to bed. And the next morning, I wanted to talk about it. I was like, oh, what was that thing? You know, and people were upset. They didn't want to talk about it. My husband, my partner, told me, you need to just be quiet. So anyway, well, you know what? We're, we're you know, everyone, there was a consensus. Let's leave. Let's go. Nobody wanted to hang out there anymore. So we packed up our stuff, packed up our cars, and we drove back to El Paso. In the time since then, I tried to talk about it with people. Nobody wanted to talk about it. That same guy insisted that it was a satellite. One time that I, I spoke to him or tried to bring it up, he did not want to speak about it. In the years since then, my husband at the time had joined the Air Force. And one night I decided to bring it up to him and see if he was willing to discuss it. And we started talking about it and he was willing and he agreed with me that that was definitely some kind of object that we were not familiar with. And he, being in the Air Force, did not know of any kind of object that he knew of that the military had, at least the Air, not the Air Force, and that he felt that it was you know, also what I felt, just a very interesting, strange experience that we all shared. So that's all I wanted to tell you. So thank you. And if anyone <laughs> has had a similar close encounter, practically close encounter, I'd love to hear it. Thank you. Thanks, Aaliyah. I actually know of a similar case, an infamous case that took place less than 100 miles from the location of Aaliyah's experience. A little-known encounter those in the UFO field call the Socorro Incident. Sergeant Lonnie Zamora pursues a vehicle along Highway 85 near the town of Socorro. Lonnie Zamora is an experienced on-duty police officer engaged in a high-speed chase when all of a sudden his attention is caught by a flame in the sky. Thinking he may have witnessed a car accident, Zamora breaks off his chase to investigate. He soon realized this was no car. The object he was looking at was essentially white and featureless, oval in shape, but on legs of some sort. Suddenly in the distance, flame shoots out from the bottom of the object and it takes off. This is like nothing he's ever seen before. The speed, the acceleration, the shape of this thing, it's extraordinary. Zamora files a report of the event. It becomes known as the Socorro Incident. The FBI, the Army, the Air Force, everyone wants to know what's going on. Zamora saw the craft just a few miles from the White Sands Missile Range, home to the U.S.'s classified weapons delivery systems. Now that clip courtesy of NASA's Unexplained Files. And I'm not sure which of the following is more relevant here. The fact that Lonnie Zamora's experience took place only 80 miles north of Elias. Or that, like the Socorro incident, the location of Elias' sighting is less than 20 miles from the same White Sands missile range mentioned in the clip. But likely most relevant is the fact that this is not the only object reported from that area. Back in 1997, 1996, a video surfaced at a UFO conference in Australia that appears to show a golden yellow UFO crash into the New Mexico desert. 
The object initially skips off the surface of the planet, throwing sparks and glowing debris some hundreds of feet into the air, only to finally explode upon second contact. Now the video can be found in the show notes, and I can't speak to its validity, but it's certainly worth a look. I don't know what it is, but I certainly would like to. As I'm sure you would too, Aaliyah. And I'm sorry that I can't offer any further answers. But trust me when I say, the clues are abundant. Thanks again, Aaliyah, for sharing the submission. Now, if you have a story you're just dying to get on the air, give our hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And don't forget, I'm currently looking for transportation-related calls for our Season 14 opener. So if your story involves a boat, train, plane, car, bus, wagon, horse, I suppose, anything transportation-related, I think I can squeeze it in. Now you have a couple weeks to get those calls in, so please don't delay. And when you do call in, be sure to use the word transportation very early on in the call. Now our next entry takes us to the state of Connecticut. Please welcome our anonymous caller to the program. Hey, I'm just calling in a couple stories while they're on my mind. Um, This is another story from my mother (laughs) when she was younger I think this happened in rural Connecticut in a vehicle when they were teenagers, maybe ranging from 15 to 18. It was her, her twin, well, she has two sisters who are twins and another friend of theirs. So someone had just gotten their license or gotten a new car or something like that. They were very excited about it. And so they decided to go driving. You know, so this is before the roads or highways existed as we knew them. This was like a single lane road in rural Connecticut. And it was a road that there was typically no traffic on. So they were driving pretty fast, like definitely like a good 15, 20 miles over the speed limit in a convertible. And my mom said that they were just, you know, having a good time driving really fast and took a curve where you couldn't see, you know, a blind curve. And I guess there was a tree that had fallen or something. And so there was a huge line of cars where typically there would be no one. You know, I guess that this was not a road that had traffic generally. So my mom said that there was this moment where they realized they could not slow down in time, that there was there was nowhere to veer, there was nothing they could do basically. And they all looked at each other and she said that the person driving actually let go of the wheel that they like all distinctly remember that because they just they thought they were going to die and she said like snap of a finger they went from going like 60 miles an hour with maybe 30 feet between them and the next vehicle in front of them to they opened their eyes sat up in the car and the vehicle was completely stopped safely no accident nothing and that they all just looked at each other like in total disbelief i guess they just drove home calmly that evening probably a little shell-shocked, and never talked about it again. So flash forward to a good like 30 or 40 years later, and my mom is on the phone with my aunt, and all she says is, do you remember the time in the car? And my aunt goes, stop. Don't talk about it. I don't ever want to talk about that. And that was it. That was the story. They never did like a, a dissection of what happened, 
but they all collectively, at the very least, at that moment with the car, confirmed that they all thought they were going to die, and the person had let go of the steering wheel. So, you know, I don't know if this is like a guardian angel story, or if it's just like a some I'm not I really can't explain it at all and um the fact that there were you know multiple people in this situation and that like so many years later my aunt like it makes her so uncomfortable that she's a nurse she's very like atypical you know like things are facts and rules and things that don't make sense make her nervous so just thought it was interesting you know I've heard some stories like this from friends where they swear they're about to wreck or flip and suddenly the car does something that's impossible where they're like you know, I could have trained for like 40 years as a race car driver and still like not saved myself somehow. So sometimes there's just weird stuff that goes on and um, I always find it a little bit interesting. Thank you, caller. You know, in light of last week's entry from Chris, also from Texas, and also experienced something odd while driving, I thought this entry was worth a share. You know, you might also recall a story I shared about NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr., also escaping certain death by way of some otherworldly interference. And although this one is a bit different, I couldn't help but pick up on the similarities. So thanks again, caller, for taking the time to share the entry. And please, be careful out there. Now, since it is the end of the season, I have a quick favor to ask of you. Do me a solid and share the show with friends or loved ones that you think might enjoy it. Put up a post on your favorite social media app. Pick up and put on a Monsters Among Us t-shirt. But most of all, just talk about the show with others. All of these methods ensure that the show continues to grow and that fresh calls continue to flood in. And a huge thanks for all those already doing so. Oh, and before we hit up this next story, a quick little announcement. For those fans of Knights at the Round Table, a brand new episode has dropped with writer and director of the film Hoax, Matt Allen. You can find that for free over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Again, that's free over at Patreon. You don't have to pay a penny. And of course, for those of you that despise Patreon or simply don't want to go there, you can always find the feed at Blurry Photos Podcast or Zang This Podcast. Okay, what should I play next? Well, this seems to be a popular subject. Lauren from Michigan. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Lauren from the Detroit area, and I have called him before, and I've actually had a call played on the show, which is the coolest thing ever, by the way. But I was just listening to the most recent episode, and I think it was Jake's call about the mirrored men, and I feel like a lot of times when I hear these calls, I remember instances that have happened to me. So this was probably about 10 to 12 years ago, the person, the boy I was dating at the time, guy, whatever, I was really close with his family and his sister and I were the same age and we were friends and I was close with his mom. So I would often stay the night there and sleep on the couch or whatever. We'd crash out watching movies or TV or whatever. And I remember his sister telling me this story about how she would always see these three entities walking across the hall and 
I was like, oh, you know, that's really creepy, you know. And I would tell her, you know, your house kind of creeps me out at night. Like, I, I don't think it's haunted, but it's just like a really dark feeling. So one night, I remember we had all kind of dozed off on the couch watching like a scary movie or whatever, which I love all things creepy, spooky. So they never give me nightmares. But I remember waking up and it was probably about 2.30 in the morning and seeing these three cloaked figures cross the hallway. And I remember just kind of being like paralyzed with fear to the point where I like couldn't move. And I was just sitting there staring at them. And the next thing I knew, everyone was waking up. It was like eight o'clock in the morning and they were like, oh, what are we having for breakfast? Let's start coffee type of thing. And I just remember being like, yeah, did you guys just see that? The, the three things walk across the hallway? No, no, I didn't see that at all. What are you talking about? And somehow I lost like five and a half, six hours. So just thought it was interesting. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Hope you can use this. Have a great night. Thank you, Lauren. We've really seen an influx of mirrored men calls as of late, which is a wild thing to imagine. And like the black-eyed kids before them, these entities really seem to skip under the radar for the most part. Currently, to date, I would say I might have 30 different accounts describing this phenomenon, and I've perhaps seen it referenced outside of the show half a dozen times or so. It's three men moving in sync. Facial features extended, stretched, frog-like, many report. And speaking of which, on last week's installment, I shared a call about a toad-like creature a young boy saw and later battled in his bedroom. In the research I did for that package, I stumbled upon a 1955 account of a Loveland frog witness where details were mentioned that should sound very familiar. A short order chef by the name of Robert Honeycutt was driving home from work at 3.30 in the morning when he saw what he thought were three crazy guys praying alongside the road. So he slowed his car to see what these madmen were up to when he realized that they weren't necessarily men at all. Described simply by Honeycutt at first as fairly ugly, the things were about three and a half feet tall and grayish in color wearing what he believed was a garment the same color as their skin, which was tight-fitting on top and then loose and baggy on the legs. Their faces were taken up on the lower half by a large, straight mouth, which really helps them subscribe to the Frogman moniker. He said that it did look frog-like. It had no lip musculature underneath. It was simply a long, straight slit across the bottom half of the face. Somehow their eyes were normal-looking, but they lacked eyebrows and a nose. Now, of these three creatures, one was in the front nearest the shoulder of the road, it had its arms up over its head and appeared to be holding something which Honeycutt described as either a rod or chain, which was emitting white and blue sparks which jumped from hand to hand. Now, as Honeycutt got out of his car to get a better look at these things, he said that the thing lowered whatever it was holding and set it down by its feet, almost appearing to tie something around its ankles. And at this point, all three things simultaneously turned to look at him. 
Now Honeycutt, somehow absolutely not freaked out by this at all, decided he wanted an even closer look. He said that the distance between his car and the creatures was about 10 feet, so he decided, hey, I'm going to walk around to the front of my vehicle. As he started to do so, the three beings made, again, a simultaneous and deliberate motion towards him. And it was at this point that Honeycutt received the impression that he shouldn't come any closer. Now, Honeycutt watched these weird little dudes for probably another two or three minutes, just absolutely amazed and unafraid of what he was seeing. He said that when he finally left, it was just to get someone else to see these weird little dudes that he had been watching. As he was driving away from the scene of his encounter, that was when the terror of his experience kind of overwhelmed him. Some people claim that he may have even experienced missing time or lost consciousness. That story masterfully retold by YouTube's Just Another Tinfoil Hat. And side note, I went down a rabbit hole on her channel last week. If you're looking for some informative information delivered in a no-nonsense manner, give Just Another Tinfoil Hat a shot. I thoroughly enjoy her content. Now anyway, did you happen to pick up on any of those similarities? And before I list them, full disclosure, there were a few features mentioned that I cherry-picked out, mostly for time, such as the creature having ridges on the top of their heads that resembled molded baby doll hair, and that they appeared lopsided, as if one side of their body was bigger than the other. Terrifying details, but maybe not relevant to this connection. And I've yet to hear of any mirrored men stories with either of those two details. But like I said, there were several similarities here. A rural location, three figures moving in sync, strange frog-like faces, and the indication that there could have been some missing time. No, I'm not saying that frogmen or mirrored men even exist, let alone that they're connected in any way. But if they are, perhaps whatever these entities are, they come from the same place. Thanks again, Lauren, for sharing the entry. Another rare, indoor mirrored men sighting. We certainly appreciate it. It's official. Summertime is here. And our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't end up looking like a Sasquatch on the beach. Manscaped's ultra-smooth package will give you the proper care for your down there. And their Boxers 2.0 will keep you cool and comfortable all summer long. So dive in headfirst and join the 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by heading to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code MONSTERS. Now you already know I've been a huge fan of Manscaped products for years now. And the Ultra Smooth Package has me thinking no different. This three-step groin shaving kit will help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive of areas. Start off with the Crop Exfoliator, infused with ingredients that soothe and reduce ingrown hairs. Follow that up with the Crop Gel, a unique clear shaving gel formulated just for the groin. Also included is the Crop Shaver, with its three precision blades and extra-wide lubricating strips. It's designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. All three of these products are vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free, so you know you're in good hands. And this set makes an awesome gift as well. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code MONSTERS. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stay fresh, stay clean, and smelling good with Manscaped all summer long. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back. Something just grabbed my leg. Now up next, we hear from Rose in the Beaver State. Hi, Derek. This is Rose. I'm in Eugene, Oregon. This story is a bit of a UFO story. Um, And it just took place about a month and a half ago or so. And I was was actually coming home from dropping my daughter off at her daycare, um, which is only about two blocks from my house. It was a clear morning um, with just kind of scattered clouds in the sky, but it was just a you know beautiful, bright, sunny morning about 8.30 in the morning. And I'm walking home and I notice up to my left, pretty high up in the sky, an object. It was silver in color and it was uh, oblong, kind of ovoid, didn't appear to have wings or any kind of you know features of a normal airplane or helicopter. It, it made no noise. It's totally silent. Um, and it was high enough that I would imagine that if it were, uh, you know, some kind of aircraft that is recognizable, you know, it, it could be silent. It could be far enough up that it was it was not audible to us on the ground. But it was, it was larger to my eyes than an airplane that would be high enough to where you couldn't hear it. So if it was high enough that you couldn't hear it, it seems like it would have been a very large object. So, um, but as you've said many times, um, it's often difficult to measure distance on the ground. But it was silver, and the way that it moved was kind of just, it was just gliding along. But what was strange was it went behind, there was like one cloud in the sky, like right there in front of me, there was one cloud. It moved behind this cloud, and as I was walking, I watched it go behind the cloud, and. I kept waiting for it to kind of come out from behind the cloud. Like I waited there waiting to see it come on the other side of the cloud and it just would, it just never came out. Like it just, I walked a little further to try to see if I could see it kind of at a different angle. And I kept my eyes on that cloud as long as it took me to walk all the way home and I never saw it come out. So this was my, uh, my one experience with something that I could sort of definitively say was an unidentified flying object as I could not identify it. I'm usually pretty good about telling the difference between an airplane or a helicopter or a satellite if it's at nighttime. That's my UFO story. Not sure what it was. I was kind of excited because it was another opportunity to call in a story. So I'm excited to hear it on the show. And I love your show so much. It's my favorite. I definitely voted for it for the Paranormal Podcast Awards. So I really hope you win. And I will be hopefully reporting in again soon if I have any more experiences. So thanks so much. And I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Rouse, and thank you for the vote. We did win, in fact. And if you vote again between now and the end of July, we could win again. But anyway, I've heard theories by some ufologists that whatever these craft are, they have the ability to either use clouds or create their own for the purpose of cloaking their operations. Whatever those might be. So as wild as what you saw seems, take comfort in knowing that others have seen it as well. And thanks again, Rose, for calling in. Now this next one takes us back to the state of Texas. Jamelo, the mic is yours. 
Hi, Derek. This is Jamela from Houston with another story. Um, I remember around this time I was going through some things and I was very, very depressed. Pretty sad. So one day I was playing uh, PlayStation and I was going to go in the kitchen and fix me some cereal. So I go to the cabinet, pull out a cereal bowl. Um, as I'm getting ready to pull the cereal in the bowl, I felt something charge me from behind. Like, kind of like how you would feel like a football player or someone running to tackle you. So I instantly turned around and of course, no one was there. But you know, you have tile in, well I do, in the kitchen. So I definitely felt the footprints of someone running towards me, getting ready to tackle me. But of course, like I said, soon I turned around, no one was there. I haven't had anything happen since then. So I think by me being depressed and sad, I kind of maybe brought that on myself. Because, like I said, I haven't had anything happen before that or after that. So I think maybe that's what happened to me. But anyway, that's my call. Uh, Love the show and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Jamelo. There's another phenomenon we've discussed before. And I can't recall all the details, but I vaguely recall another listener calling in with an encounter of an invisible force charging at him. Now I believe he could hear and almost feel the footsteps as they rapidly approached, just like Jamello. And also like Jamello, coming up in the beyond portion of the episode, we hear from another witness of the paranormal that was experiencing depression symptoms in correlation to an encounter. Yet another trope that we hear often. Those with mental illness are sometimes, somehow, able to tap further into that world. And perhaps there's something to that. But regardless, we thank you, Jamalo, for the entry. I couldn't imagine the confusion an encounter like that could bring. Unless this is your first time tuning in, you've already heard me talk about microdosing and how all sorts of people, myself included, are microdosing to relax, improve their mood, manage pain, and much more. I struggle with anxiety and insomnia, and microdosing has been a game changer. It helps me chill out and finally get some shut eye. Now don't let three little words scare you away from a great product. Keep in mind that microdose gummies by tonight's sponsor Lumi Labs are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And yes, these gummies contain cannabinoids, but I'm not talking about getting high in that stereotypical stoner sense. I'm talking about entry-level doses of THC and CBD to help you relax and feel good. Sometimes I like to microdose while doing creative work, but I mostly like to use them at night when I'm ready to sit back and chill after a long day. So what are you waiting for? Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and code MONSTERSAMONGUS. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back 
that thing that just washed up on the beach. Now this next one missed our deadline for the hospital episode, but was too good not to squeeze in. So please welcome Brandon from Indiana to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Brandon. I'm calling from southwestern Indiana, and after hearing your series about hospital stories, I had a thought about a hospital that I used to work in several years ago. Uh, This would have been from around 2018 to 2019. I worked the night shift at a hospital in my hometown that has been on the same spot in some way, shape, or form for the past about 150 years the oldest hospital in town. It's one of the older ones in the state as far as I know. So my job basically was to run around delivering things. I was kind of like a porter or a gopher or whatever you want to call it. But the other part of it was that we collected uh, surgery equipment. So we would make rounds every night, pick up surgery equipment and things like that that needed to be sterilized, and we would take them to sterilization. So one of the areas that we went to is kind of a burn unit slash uh, kind of a day therapy area. It's kind of hard to really describe what all they do, but it's only open from about 8 a.m. till about 5 p.m. So I worked the night shift, and when we were going through there, it was completely closed down. So to get to this area, you go through a first little addition that used to be a maternity ward, and there are a set of automatic double doors as well as a locked sterile room where all of the equipment is kept and things like that, or a dirty room, whatever you want to call it. So every night we would make these rounds. And this particular night, it was, it was fall. It was actually probably around September of 2018, if if memory serves. And I was going to pick up the equipment. And so I went through the little set of double doors. I put in my code, opened the doors and was grabbing the stuff, putting it on my little cart that we would push things around on and filling out the paperwork to say that we had picked it up. So as I'm filling out the paperwork, I hear a whistle. And I look up, and again, I'm in a very small, almost like a closet with a locked door behind me, a locked door in front of me, and some sinks and things like that. It's what they would call a dirty room or whatever you want to call it. I don't see anybody through the little windows on either of the doors. And I kind of brush it off. I just assume it's more likely than not one of my coworkers playing a joke on me. I worked with a bunch of guys my age that I'd known for many years, and we all kind of goofed off and like to have fun. So I go back to filling out the paperwork, and then all of a sudden, as I'm getting ready to go back out to my little cart, I hear the whistle again. Only this time it kind of sounds a little bit farther away. So I walk over to the double doors, the, the civilian doors or whatever you want to call them, and I push the button. And they are automatic. So I push these double doors open and I walk through. And and the area that we go to that is, again, really only open during the day is basically a big circular walkway with a bunch of rooms or square, whatever you want to say. There's two sets of doors that lead to the outside that are locked at this point in time. And then there is the entrance back into the hospital, which is the automatic double doors or the two sets of doors through the little sterile chamber. So... I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. And I'm kind of confused because if it had been somebody playing a joke on me or something like that, I would have been able to see them. And so I kind of start to walk around thinking maybe it's a security guard or, or even a nurse or somebody that's lost. And again, all of the lights are off. There's no equipment on or anything like that, except for just kind of some background lights. 
So I'm looking through some of the rooms. I'm walking around and, you know, I'm saying, hey, hello, is there anybody there? I was calling out my friend's name. I was like, hey, are you there? Are you there? And I don't see anything or hear anybody. So by that point in time, I've completely walked this little circle. It wasn't very big. And I'm back looking at the double doors, which were still open. Now, this was weird because those double doors, I mean, they're your basic uh, handicapped double doors. You push the button, they swing open. They're open for maybe 15, 20 seconds, and then they close. Well, they were still open. So I'm getting a little bit weirded out at this point in time, and I start to have like a kind of a weird feeling on the back of my neck because that's not normal. I've done this little routine, you know, hundreds of times. I've gone through these doors before for other things. They don't stay open like this. So I kind of start to walk back towards them, and I'm expecting one of my friends to, like, I don't know, jump out and try and scare me or something like that. And I get to the set of double doors, and I walk through them again. And I'm still kind of looking around, and I'm very confused because, again, it's been maybe two or three minutes since I initially hit the button and walked around and and came back through the double doors, and they're still open. Now, most of the time, I mean, it is an older hospital, you know, I've thought about it before. It is possible that maybe the doors kind of got stuck or something like that. But I turn around and I'm looking at both the double doors as well as the doors that lead to the sterile room that I was in before. So I grabbed the little cart that I had put my equipment on and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you know what? That's totally what it is. Like the doors are stuck and they are just going to close like normal because again, they're like pneumatic or, you know, they, they close very slowly. So I start to walk away and I hear the whistle again. And this time it sounds, I mean, like literally somebody is right behind me and it's kind of freaks me out. And I turn and I, you know, I've got this cart and I kind of spin around and the doors are still open. And I'm, you know, looking around and finally I'm like, hey, okay, guys, like if you're trying to play a joke on me, you got me. Well, all of a sudden, those double doors slam. And I mean, when I say slam, I mean, they slammed so hard that the panes of glass that are, uh, they're kind of like the double sided panes of glass and they have like the metal, like meshing through them. Those panes of glass rattled. I could hear them rattling like the doors slammed so hard. And at that point in time, I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm I'm getting out of here. I turn around, and I mean, I start booking it through this little other area that, you know, that I was in. And as I'm doing it, I get out into the hallway, and, and there's kind of this main drag hallway that, that goes from one end of our hospital to the other. And as I'm doing it, I see the other two guys that are on night shift coming out of the elevators. Uh, they're probably about, I don't know, maybe like 50 yards away from me. Cause again, it's a really long hallway. It's the hospital's technically two hospitals connected, whatever. So I'm looking at them and they both see me and they both kind of look at me and are like, Oh my God, you know, what just happened? Like what's going on? Like you, for lack of a better term, look like you've seen a ghost. So I kind of explained to them what happened. And I said, I thought it was you guys. And they said, no, and one of the guys looks at me and he's like, you know, I've been having a lot of really weird feelings when I've kind of gone in there before. And, you know, it, it's kind of good basically that you're, you've seen something as well. And not long after that, I ended up leaving that job. But I mean, that was like one in a series of many, many, many weird things that have happened at that hospital. 
and not even just to me. I've got some other stories from some other coworkers and stuff like that that I might call back with. But, uh, you know, that was the one that stuck out to me the most. I'm a little bit late for the hospital and uh, medical workers uh, episode, but hopefully you can use this. I really enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Thank you, sir. This is a great reminder that I'm still accepting those submissions for the transportation episode. That's one eight 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 six zero eight night. If that happens to be you. Now, as for Brandon's story, hospitals almost always top my list of buildings most likely to be haunted. Sits right above prisons, libraries, churches, and I don't consider myself to be psychic, but I can feel those eyes on me. Anytime I'm near any sort of infirmary. The place gives me the heebie-jeebies. And as you've heard in Brandon's experience, I have a good reason to feel freaked out. It's chilling stuff. Thanks again for sharing the entry. Well, I couldn't let this episode get away from me without asking you to visit our merchandise shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Pick up a hat, shirt, tank, bag, toe, koozie, patch, pin, or poster, and keep this little ship afloat. And between now and the end of this season, which is two weeks from the release date of this episode, everything in the shop is on sale with our Dogman Days of Summer sale. So, pick something up, Rep your favorite paranormal program and accept my heartfelt thank you. Now then, the time has come for us to round this thing out. And here to take us home is Pete from the state of Wyoming. Hello, Derek. This is Pete. I'm in Wyoming. It's kind of a weird story. I got COVID and, uh, some people lost their, their appetite or sense of taste and smell. For me, it was a little different. I didn't. I kind of have been hungry all the time. I'm over it now, but just been having weird dreams, almost like I'm uh, turned into a werewolf and almost like the movie American Werewolf in London. And my dream is I come to work and I just get extremely hungry and I kind of turn and pretty much maul everybody at work. I know it's strange. I haven't even told anybody, not even my wife, about it because they'll probably think I'm totally nuts and probably lock me away, throw away the key. Yeah, I know it's kind of sounds bizarre, but I'm just hungry all the time. <laughs> even when I eat a big, huge meal, about 10 minutes later, I'm hungry again. I haven't gained any weight, and uh, yeah, I just had the awful nightmares, and it's strange because I, I, I know it, I live out here in Wyoming, and I know there's coyotes in the area, but... Yeah, there have been, like, dogs come up missing. I know I have nothing can, to do with it, but, yeah, there's, like, there's a family down oh, about a mile away. They raise Rottweilers, and I guess two came up missing. They don't know where they went, but I don't know if that's any connection to it all, but uh, that's just just my story, I guess. Love your show, and keep it going. All right, bye. <clears throat> Thanks, Pete. I certainly hope you're still a free man. After hearing that story, I'm a little bit worried. Worried because I remember something awfully similar taking place when I was a kid. 
I first remember learning about it on a tabloid magazine that my mom or grandmother bought for me while standing at the checkout line. You know the ones. Bat Boy found. Bill Clinton meets aliens. Bat Boy runs for president. Well, this particular headline said, Werewolf Seized in South End. And even as a kid, I was enthralled with the very idea of werewolves. So I was eager to read of the vicious monster they caught over in England. But what I learned about Bill Ramsey, the South End werewolf, was more terrifying than the hairy, snarling beast I saw on television. The story began uh, when I was nine years old. It was a very warm summer's evening. Suddenly the air went very cold. There was a terrible stench in the air. And I just flew into the most horrendous waves that... Uh, my mother and father came out to see what the hell was going on. And the fence post was two or three inches square. It was set into concrete in the ground. I pulled it out and smashed it on the floor until it broke. Bill Ramsey thought it was an isolated childhood event. He grew up, married, had children. But then the violent episode from his childhood came back to haunt the adult. Strange animal behavior would overtake him. Violence he couldn't control or explain. At first he could keep it secret... But then one day, Bill Ramsey bit someone in public, and the animal inside him wasn't a secret anymore. Soon after, Ramsey attacked the nurse at South End Hospital. I just had the feeling that ultimately I would kill somebody. Then, without reason or warning, Bill Ramsey attempted the murder of a police officer. He was locked up, and his life became a tangle of police, psychiatrists, and reporters. I envisaged being in prison for the rest of my life, or in a secure mental hospital for the rest of my life for something I knew I would never be responsible for. But he was held responsible. One night, he drove himself and a prostitute to a police station and proceeded to fight, maim, and injure nearly half a dozen police officers. He had these mad, staring eyes and this maniacal expression. That's all I could describe it as. But the worst thing was what he was saying, and it was said in a very malevolent way, which he was saying... The devil is in me. When the devil is in me, I am strong. I'm going to kill you. I am strong, and you are going to die. Ramsey lunged for the sergeant's throat. Fisher, unarmed, responded with a powerful knee to the groin. He sort of went, and crouched down, and he shrugged it off again. and became stronger. And when I came out into the yard, I saw Terry Fisher on the floor, just over this location, with Bill Ramsey sitting on top of him, with his hands around his throat. Then there were bobbies that came to their sergeant's aid, and he threw them off, in their words, like they were matchsticks. And when you see the size of this ex-police officer, you'll say to yourself, what scared him so much? Why this one experience? Because he sees something that very few people ever see. He's seen the transfiguration of a man into a wolf. It took five officers to subdue Bill Ramsey, who was not under the influence of any drugs. When I say he snarled and he growled, it was the impression of his lips turning up and showing his teeth. And I can recollect actually saying at the time in the reports that I filed that he took on the appearance of a mad dog. Like a caged animal, Ramsey tried to escape. His head, right arm, up to his shoulder, was outside this hole. It's difficult to actually visualize a head and an arm out there, but I can assure you, I saw it, 
five or six firemen saw it, doctors saw it, and I would suggest up to seven or eight policemen saw it, none of which could believe what we'd actually seen. Finally, Ramsey was heavily sedated, soaked with liquid soap, and squeezed back through the hole. Now, both of those clips are from the series Sightings. And I know the clips were a bit lengthy, but I absolutely love this story. For some reason. Oh, and by the way, that hole that they spoke about in the clip, it's the little viewing hole in a prison cell door. And if I had to guess, it was maybe 12 inches by 6 inches tall. Or just big enough to squeeze a loaf of bread through. Sideways. Frankly, I can't imagine any man, or wolf for that matter, getting anything past an arm in that opening. That's a near superhuman feat. Now eventually, demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren got involved when they flew Bill to the U.S., where they performed an exorcism. By all reports, curing him of his transformations. Today, Bill would be 80 years old, if still living, and I wasn't able to either confirm or deny that he's still with us. But given the fact that we haven't heard of another experience since then, I'd say he at least got it under control. And I can only hope the same for you, Pete. But if you're going to take the Wolfman route, let me know and I'll help you come up with a cool nickname. The Wyoming Wolfman is, of course, the low-hanging fruit. All kidding aside, I hope you're feeling better now, Pete. And we thank you for calling in. Now before I go, a quick reminder that I will be dark next week in preparation for the season 13 finale. Hometown Legends Part 13. So you can expect me back with that massive episode on August 4th. And until then, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you don't mind, please leave us a rate and review at Apple iTunes, Spotify, wherever that sort of thing is possible. And be sure to like and follow over at YouTube. Finally, the terrifying score that you heard this evening was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. So tonight's secret entry isn't so much weird as it is disturbing. So please welcome Kip from New York. 
Hi, Derek. This is Kip. I'm calling from the Western New York State area. Uh, and I've got an amazing ghost story to tell you with a kind of surprising twist at the end. And this is not my story. This is my wife's story. And this happened uh, just before we started dating. So this would have been 2009 time frame. So my wife, she found this wonderful house that she bought. Uh, it was built in 1880, and she got a really good deal on the house because these two sons were selling it. Their mother had passed away. She was in her 90s. So she got this really lovely house property. Was, was enamored with it. Her sister, she had an older sister that just had a baby, said, oh, I'll come out and visit with you guys. And uh, so her sister came out with this newborn baby, and they stayed in uh, the downstairs bedroom. And uh, my wife was sleeping in an upstairs bedroom. And she said to the first night that they came, she could hear her sister saying something out loud in the middle of the night. I mean, she just couldn't tell what she was saying, and she just chalked it up to um, she's talking to the baby or something. Next morning, as soon as she gets up, her sister asks her, who is the old lady? She says, what do you mean? She's like, I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was an old lady standing over my baby. And I had to tell her to get away. So off the bat, my wife suspecting that maybe this house is haunted. A few other things happen. My wife is sitting on the couch one day when she hears a loud thunk right behind her. And she looks back and there's a floor lamp that is swaying back and forth. And it sounded like it just kind of got dropped. And my wife is an engineer. She's trying to figure out why would this be moving. She has two dogs and a cat and they're all sitting right in front of her and not moving. She cannot figure out why this lamp behind her is moving and it sounded like it was just dropped. Uh, another thing that happened is my wife got up uh, early one morning, went out to do some gardening, and while she's out in the yard, she can hear the smoke alarm going off in her house. So she immediately runs back in the house, figures out it's the smoke alarm in that same downstairs bedroom going off. The door was shut, and when she opened the door, she said for a, a split second, all she could see in the room was this white fog. And within a split second, all the white fog disappeared and the smoke alarm went off. So my wife was like convinced, all right, so the house is haunted, but it's not anything bad. There's nothing evil. So, you know, this is just kind of upsetting, but nothing horrible. So uh, this is where the story kind of takes a twist. So she ends up talking to her neighbors finally. And her neighbors said, oh, you know, it's really sad how Mrs. Such and Such passed away. And my wife's thinking, oh, yeah, because, you know, she was nine years old, you know, upsetting. But the neighbors were like, no, no, she actually died in a fire on the property. My wife said, oh, I did not know that. The neighbors told the story. Middle of the night one night, they could see this red glow coming from over there and realized there's a giant fire going on at their neighbor's house. So the neighbors come running over and figure out the garage is on fire. And they run into the house to find the old lady. And <laughs> they, they found some strange things. When they came in the back door and went up some stairs, the lady's walker was abandoned on the first floor. And they quickly figure out she's not in the house anywhere. And they figure out that she must be in the garage. And sure enough, the, you know, the fire department and the police come and they figure out that, yes, she was in the, in the garage and she's deceased. And they said that, you know, it was really sad. This is where my wife starts piecing together the story that doesn't make a lot of sense. She's like, why did this 90-year-old woman get up in the middle of the night, abandon her walker that she needs to get around, go down a flight of stairs, this back door that must have been opened? So when I was in the house, I was in my mid-20s, 6'1", 200 pounds, and I had to put my hip on the wall to get this door open. It was not easy to open. 
So how did this 90-year-old woman open that, go out into her garage, I don't know why, and get into her car, and then how does that make your garage catch on fire? And the more that we thought about the story, it makes more sense that she didn't do this, that somebody else did. We think that somebody broke into the house in the middle of the night. She got up to investigate, and they essentially killed her and disposed of all the evidence in her car in the garage in a big fire. And it's morbid, but if you think about if you wanted to kill someone who better than someone 90 years old and dispose of all the evidence in a garage fire, and it probably will not be investigated, which is terrifying. My wife said, I didn't confirm this myself, but she tried to look up news stories about other uh, elderly people deceasing in fires. And she said that she found a few stories in the past few years in the western New York state region, which is very upsetting. There's another kind of side story to the one I just left that I I thought was kind of funny. Uh, It was a debunking story of my own. So uh, when I first met my wife, we were staying there at this haunted house. There was one night while we were going to bed, we were sleeping in that downstairs bedroom, you know, getting into bed, getting settled in. It's very quiet in the house. And after a few minutes, we hear this sound that goes, sounding like a ball drop. And every 30 seconds or so, we could hear it again. And it was coming from upstairs. So... Both of us look at each other and our faces are white and we are like, oh God, what is that? And (laughs) my wife says, go figure it out. I'm going to go back to bed. So she throws the covers over herself and leaves me to go up and figure out what this is. So I start my pants and I'm terrified and going upstairs with a flashlight and I'm telling myself, if I see a ball just hovering in midair and dropping, I'm going to start tripping balls. Uh, So I go upstairs and uh, fortunately figure out, no, there's not a ball hovering in the air. It's, uh, there was a little uh, trap door that kind of goes over an attic space and there's enough of a wind outside at night that it it wasn't latched. The wind was making a vacuum that was causing that door to shut. So I shut that, locked it and uh, changed my underwear and went back to bed. Uh, I I just thought it was a good debunking story important to check stuff out and don't just assume it's going to be something supernatural. And needless to say, we fixed up the house and we got out of there as fast as we could and moved someplace else. So that's my story. It's a wonderful story to me. It's haunting. And I believe it hundred percent because I, I believe what my wife says. I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Kip. Disturbing indeed. That scenario sounds almost unimaginable. The thought of anyone meeting that end is heartbreaking, but knowing that it might have been a 90-year-old woman makes it downright evil. And I happen to know there is a large percentage of true crime fans that also listen to this program, so consider this a call to action. Do some investigating. If there truly is some sort of twisted serial killer on the loose in western New York, who better to bring him down? than MAU fans. So do your work. Put those years of armchair training into action. And let's expose this monster. If he exists. Because the only thing worse than the thought of this horrible act is the idea that the perpetrators may still be free and possibly continuing their heinous acts. 
and that is why I stick to the spooky. That real-world stuff is just too terrifying. But we thank you, Kip, for calling in. And it's at this point that I ask that all non-paying customers step off the ride. From here on out, we're going beyond. But don't fret. Just venture over to patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Once you're there, pledge the $5 level or more, and you'll get instant access to not only tonight's episode, but some 65 additional episodes. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us Podcast. Now, we kick this evening's journey through the beyond off with that aforementioned call concerning depression and its link to the strange and unusual. Robin, from Canada. Please go ahead with your story. (laughs) 